You're listening to special programming sponsored by Stovall and Associates Law Firm. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Good morning, Las Vegas. This is Larissa Drahobitzer, attorney at law, and I am joined by my partner here. This is Leslie Stovall. How are you doing this morning? We are putting on a show called Las Vegas Law Talk, where we are going to be discussing how the law applies to you guys as listeners. And we're going to be discussing legal current events. And in today's show, we are going to be discussing the legislative changes in Nevada that take effect January 1 of this year. We are going to be talking about the current events in the news and how they relate to the law. And we are also going to be discussing what you need to know if somebody close to you passes away. Not just what you need to know as far as how to cope with the loss of a loved one, but the legal aspects that apply when a person dies. So on January 1st of this year, there are a number of changes that Nevada has voted in to be coming into effect. And one of them will be the permanent mail voting. Now, what that does is it requires all county and city clerks to send every active registered voter a mail ballot before each primary general election. You know, that's really interesting. Um, One of the arguments that you see across the country is whether or not there should be mail-in voting. This certainly helps people have the opportunity to vote if they're not able to get down to their voting or place of voting. I agree with you. One of the major legislations for women my age is that doctor visits are no longer required to receive certain types of birth control. Now, this is going to be key because what happens is, many of the male listeners might not know, but my mom is in the women's healthcare industry. When you run out of your birth control, you were required typically to have a doctor's appointment to refill those. And in this particular legislation, it's going to allow individuals to get those refilled without the doctor visits, hopefully making it more convenient and cutting down on unwanted pregnancies. Larissa, I understand there's also been a change in Medicaid for incarcerated people. Uh, What did the state legislature do with that? Sure. So beginning on the first of this month, there's now a more seamless transition for uh, Medicaid eligibility for incarcerated people. Previously, when an individual was receiving Medicaid and became incarcerated, their coverage would be terminated. Um, That caused a lot of problems when they were out of incarceration and had to reapply for Medicaid. Now, when a person is incarcerated, their Medicaid eligibility is only suspended rather than terminated. The bill specifies that individuals who were not previously on Medicaid should be allowed to apply for enrollment in the program up to six months before their scheduled release date. Well, Larissa, I understand there is uh, another uh, Medicare, uh, excuse me, Medicaid service uh, change that's coming up. Uh, would you like to explain that one? Sure. There have been changes to Nevada's state Medicaid program, including coverages for doula services, coverage for community health workers, and presumptive eligibility for pregnant women. That statute also makes changes to Medicaid coverage for doula services and takes effect today. Yeah, this new law implements uh, the state Supreme Court order establishing a statutory right to a jury trial for a person charged with 
misdemeanor or domestic violence uh, that would lead to the defendant losing his firearm ownership rights. This was huge because previously in domestic violence cases, there were not jury trials and there were a lot of individuals who felt that losing their right to be able to carry a firearm, which is a consequence of being convicted of a domestic violence charge, would necessitate the need for a jury trial. Well, that's right. And people, not only uh, the right to carry a, a firearm, but also employment. Uh, people in the military, people in law enforcement uh, would uh, lose their jobs if they were convicted of a domestic violence charge. And now they have the opportunity to go uh, before a jury and have a jury make that decision. So what this law really has done, it has created a framework to hold jury trials in municipal court, which was not previously available. That's correct. You know, the one uh, change that I see in the political system has to do with um, the end of the presidential caucuses. And Nevada had a rather unique way of uh, determining who would be a presidential candidate uh, through the caucus system. This year, the legislature has adopted the primary system, which means every voter gets to go out and vote for the person they think should be the uh, party's candidate for the general election. And that uh, is really a significant change. Well, one of my favorite changes to legislation this year is that savings accounts for low-income Nevadans have been established. This new law kicked in January 1st, and it will allow some low-income people to create a savings account and receive matching funds from a bank to multiply their deposits up to fivefold. The new program, called the Individual Development Account Program, will be available to people living in low-income housing projects who have enrolled in Medicaid or who are in the foster care system. The law calls for the state treasurer to accept grants and donations and use them to match deposited funds by account holders with up to $3,000 per beneficiary per year. The state is also required to provide financial literacy training to account holders, which I think is awesome. I also think that financial literacy training should be a requirement in Nevada public schools. Uh, Before we leave legislative changes, I do want to point out that the state legislature has changed the car seat requirements for children. It used to be um, children had to be in a car seat if they were six under six years of age and weighed uh, 60 pounds or less. The weight requirement has been eliminated now is children under the age of 60 who are less than 57 inches tall. Uh, So folks, if you have children- uh, Or grandchildren. Or grandchildren. uh, Keep that in mind when you are uh, making a decision about a car seat. Great, so now that we have the legal changes in Nevada covered, I wanna talk about current legal news. Now something that I found shocking and interesting was that 2021 was the deadliest year for homicides in many U.S. cities. Philly, Portland, Louisville, and Albuquerque had their deadliest year on record. It's inexplicable the amount of violence that has occurred over this uh, last year. Um, Not only do you have these record numbers of homicide, but there's also a record number of children who have been killed by gun violence. Uh, It's reported that 1,500 children, and these are children and teenagers under the age of 18, 
uh, have been killed by gun violence this last year. That exceeds the year before at 1,380 in 2020. One of the things that I see are parents who are negligent in leaving firearms available to children and teens. It's a terrible problem. I don't know what uh, what uh, parents are thinking or caretakers are thinking about leaving a firearm, a pistol, or even a long gun available to uh, children. Uh, children are inquisitive. They dig around. They play around in a house. They pick up something like a gun. And uh, what parents need to know is they can be held criminally liable for oh. leaving guns available for children and teens to be able to take and either injure themselves or injure or kill others. Not only can they be held criminally liable, there's also civil penalties, which is monitoring or uh, by uh, Child Protective Services. And uh, it's... it's um, not to mention lawsuits. Well, not to mention lawsuits, because if you have a visitor coming into a home and uh, their child is injured as a result of a gun... Uh, the parents are going to be held liable. We saw in the most recent uh, shooting uh, by that young man uh, where both of the parents have been charged up in Wisconsin, uh, I think, for... Giving uh, him the gun when he knew he was unstable. Well, that's right. And one of the other things that's been noted is that many teenagers are obtaining what are uh, are untraceable ghost guns. And these are guns that are made from kits or they're parts of guns that are put together to form a functioning gun. In fact, here in Nevada, uh, the Nevada legislature just passed a... Uh, legislation, and it goes into effect this month, that outlaws uh, ghost guns uh, here in Nevada. That's interesting. Um, Since we're talking about guns, I want to talk about the Alec Baldwin shooting case. And there are many articles still coming out about the investigation into the unfortunate and terrible accidental shooting death of an individual who was on set. Do you have any comment or any type of analysis of that case? Well, recently it was reported that Alec Baldwin owns the production company that employed the individual that gave Alec Baldwin the gun that was loaded. But it was not supposed to be loaded. All the the bullets were supposed to be blanks and it's unknown how live bullets got into the mix of blanks. Well, I have to tell you, I I don't understand how anybody that has a firearm or a pistol in their hand that would point it at somebody without first themselves looking at it and making sure that that uh, did not have live ammunition in it in the first place. They had somebody that they hired to do that. Well, I'm I'm just telling you, I wouldn't uh, uh, trust somebody to hand me a a safe firearm if I was going to be pointing it at somebody. Uh, that's how accidents occur. Uh, in my opinion, he should have been looking in the first place. Now, you know, the real question is whether or not, and I think a lot of people are wondering this, is if, if he's going to be re- charged criminally. He certainly has civil liability, uh, not only because he owns the production company, but because uh, he did not look at that gun himself. Uh, and uh, with regards to crime, I, I don't know. Uh, He may have some criminal liability because of the circumstances under which uh, this uh, killing occurred. Well, uh, the investigation is still open, so we shall see what will result from this unfortunate accident. My heart goes out to the victim, um, not only the one who passed away, but there was another individual who was injured as well. That's right. Hey, did you hear about uh, the um, phony bourbon that's being uh, sold? 
No, but I'm sure you drank it. <laughs> no, I didn't drink it. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I know you like the good stuff. I, I've seen your receipts when you visit the liquor store. <laughs> well, what's happening apparently is these high-priced col- collector liquors. I, I didn't even know there was such a thing. Uh, people have been buying the empty bottles and then refilling them with cheap liquor and then selling them over the internet for thousands of dollars. Not surprised. And it's all happening over the internet. So, hey, Larissa, did you see where the uh, German government uh, is looking at uh, legalizing recreational marijuana? Nationally? Yeah, the entire country. They're going to legalize marijuana use. And they think that the EU, the European Union, is going to follow. That means all the other countries in Europe will move to uh, legalize marijuana. They must need money, tax money. Well, you know, here in Nevada, uh, the uh, legalization of recreational marijuana has really paid off. This last year, it's been reported that the state sold over, uh, well, over a billion dollars of uh, product was sold in the state, and the state has received $159 million in uh, tax revenue from the sale of marijuana. Now, I was under the impression that money was supposed to be given to the Clark County School District and educational funding. Has that happened? Well, it appears to. The reporting is that uh, the, this tax revenue money from the sale of marijuana is being distributed through the uh, s- through the school systems, not just to Clark County, but it goes to all of them. It, it, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know how many how they calculated it, but they said that that really works out to be about three three hundred fifty dollars per student in additional funding uh, to the educational system. Which is good. Every every dollar helps uh, because our school system in particular needs needs a lot of help because we're not very highly, highly rated. rated. Yeah, unfortunately, you know. Well, one other article that I found interesting since we're talking about controlled substances was the interview of Travis Scott regarding the Astro World tragedy. If some of the listeners are unfamiliar with this case, there have been more than a billion dollars worth of lawsuits filed against Travis Scott, Drake, and the production company that put on a concert a few months ago that left many injured or dead. It is reported that Travis Scott was performing at his concert and there were crowds rushing the stage and as a result many people were injured it is unknown whether or not travis scott knew of this tragedy but at the time it was occurring and for a long time thereafter he kept performing and the individuals who were injured or passed away were unable to get help it's a it's a tragedy eight people were killed uh, 300 people were injured uh, during the concert, and there were apparently 50,000 people within the area that were surging the stage. And unfortunately, uh, uh, this is something that has happened repeatedly at the Travis Scott concerts. There were concerts uh, in 2017 and 2016 where they had problems with crowds surging, also with people jumping over barriers. And Travis Scott himself describes his concerts as these high energy uh, concerts where people are encouraged to do how they feel, I suppose is the best way to put it. What's your opinion on whether or not he should 
be held responsible, whether criminally or financially, for the deaths or injuries of those individuals who attended that concert? Well, you know, he may be exposed to criminal liability because of the way he's conducted himself in prior concerts and the same problem occurring uh, on, uh, well, this looks like about three times. Uh, certainly he has civil liability, not only him, but anyone who is involved in the production of that and uh, staging that uh, concert. I also think uh, you may be looking at uh, the local government being responsible because it seems to me that you would have to know that with this particular entertainer and the number of people that are going to be present that you'd have to take extraordinary uh, steps or uh, management to uh, keep this from occurring again. Uh, I don't think it was a surprise uh, or anybody that's going to take a look at what happened uh, uh, would say this, this doesn't surprise them that it occurred. Well, my heart goes out to all the families of the injured and deceased individuals and that leads me into my next conversation with you, which is what to do when somebody close to you passes away. You know, <clears throat> this is really an important uh, matter, an important issue in today's uh, environment. Uh, you know, we've lived through uh, two years now of a pandemic, and it's shocking the number of people that have died or have, have been seriously injured because of the uh, COVID virus. And look at us now. Here we are, 2022, and we are facing another variant of a virus um, and that leads to disabilities and death. And I think you're probably in a good position to uh, talk about this. Uh, really think about uh, how uh, they're going to take care of their families in the event of their death or uh, disability. And I know that's an area that you do a lot of, well, almost exclusively work in. Right, as you know, I do a lot of probate and estate planning work. And one of the, I would say, good things that came out of COVID in my eyes as an attorney is that it required a lot of people to face their own mortality and start thinking more about planning for death or disability, regardless of age. I know that my estate planning practice where I drafted wills and trusts for people exploded last year. Uh, more young people were thinking about getting wills in place and trusts. My friends that are life insurance agents told me that they were extremely busy selling life insurance policies because of COVID. And unfortunately, my business did pick up in the area of probate where individuals passed away and their loved ones were, were left to handle the legal affairs of the decedent. And in my opinion, there's not enough information out there about what somebody needs to do when their spouse or loved one or mother or father passes away. It's almost as if you have to get an attorney to know what to do when somebody dies. You know, that's been my experience also, is that people really don't know, don't understand uh, what their legal position is when a loved one passes away and they have no idea what probate really does. Yeah, a lot of people don't know what to do with probate, um, how to transfer the assets. They don't even know that you are supposed to report the death of a loved one to their credit card companies. To social security you need to cancel their credit cards you need to cancel their passport there's a whole long list of items that people need to do 
when somebody passes away to um, protect the legal rights of the deceased and the beneficiaries and any creditors. And I've actually made this list available on our website. Um, So if the listeners have questions on what to do when somebody passes away, they can visit our website lesstoval.com, L-E-S-S-T-O-V-A-L-L.com. I have several blogs on the website and probate articles. But in my experience, a lot of people don't do the proper planning before they pass away to save their loved ones the time, money, and anguish of having to deal with probate court and the conflicts. That's uh, uh, been my experience also. And uh, I suppose there's really two different ways that individuals can uh, do uh, their estate planning. One, they can prepare a will or they can do a trust if they have assets that uh, would benefit from being in a in a trust. Right. But sometimes people don't need either as long as those assets are beneficiary designations. Meaning on a bank account, you could designate yep. a beneficiary. You could designate a beneficiary on investment accounts. Mm-hmm. IRAs, 401ks, on life insurance, or if the property has a joint owner. Those assets will avoid probate court, but a lot of people don't have the proper planning in the first place to know how to structure assets in the event of death or incapacity of a loved one's spouse or co-owner. Well, what do you do uh, or offer to help people um, uh, review their situation and decide what they should do for uh, in the event of their death? So in my estate planning practice, um, I start all my sessions with a family wealth planning session. And normally these sessions are $750 because they're a two hour working meeting where I analyze all the assets of the individuals. I analyze the family dynamics and I go over the goals. And we talk about what would happen with their current plan, which is usually no plan. And we talk about the plan that would best fit their family situation, budget, and dynamics. And those sessions are now complimentary due to a promotion that I have this quarter, where the complimentary family wealth planning session is now free, and there's no obligation to sign up with me. But it is a really good eye-opening meeting to have with individuals because we go through Each asset that they own, we see how that asset is owned, whether a joint owner or if it's owned solely. Um, And we talk about what's going to happen to your property and your money if you become incapacitated or die. Now, there are different um, courses of action if a person becomes incapacitated versus whether they pass away. Now, if you get a comprehensive estate plan that will cover incapacity and death and it will leave your family and loved ones free of court and conflict. Um, But as I've seen in most cases, people do not properly plan for death or incapacity and they hire me to uh, handle their guardianship cases and their probates. Well, how does how do do families avoid uh, the long drawn out process of probate uh, uh, in in these kinds of situations? What, what can you offer them? Well, what I always recommend to my clients is getting uh, a revocable living trust. And in a nutshell, that's where assets are transferred out of a person's name into a legal entity that they manage and own and that they benefit from during their lifetime. And um, in the course of that trust planning, we designate a successor trustee to manage assets once a person 
passes away or becomes incapacitated, um, you know, either due to an injury or old age or anything of that nature. And then you designate beneficiaries to inherit your property when you pass away. And I generally recommend trust to individuals whose family dynamics uh, require that, meaning they have minor children or multiple beneficiaries and they want to stagger payments in ages and stages, meaning they don't want a loved one to necessarily get a large lump sum of money all at once. Only a trust can accomplish staggering the inheritance. If they have to go through probate, the individual who inherits the property will get all that money once the probate is over. And in a situation of minors, um, leaving property to minors is not a good idea because if they are entitled to that property upon your death and they are under the age of 18, that money will end up in guardianship court and locked up until those minors reach the age of 18. And then at 18, they will receive an inheritance with no oversight or direction. And that's usually the last thing that a person wants to do is leave an 18 year old with a large amount of money with no direction or oversight. But um, just to talk about probate in a nutshell, that is the court process of um, proving the validity of a will, if there is one, um, marshalling assets, inventorying assets of a deceased person, notifying and paying creditors, and handling any claims that may be um, as a result of any type of lawsuit. I know in your practice, you do file lawsuits on behalf of deceased people, and that always goes through probate court. Well, that's true. You have to uh, uh, petition to the probate court to appoint a personal representative to represent the decedent So uh, what that in means is basically if somebody dies and there is money owed to them, they need a living person to handle the estate. Well, that's absolutely right. Uh, when a person dies... Uh, there's no one who can handle or transfer or collect uh, assets on behalf of that uh, dead person. Uh, yeah, and many people think just because they're married to somebody, they automatically get the money or they can automatically do things just because they were married. And they forget that, no, it has to go through court first. You have to be appointed. That's a process. It takes time. It costs money. Okay. And there's delays built in along the way. Well, and that's one of the advantages of a trust is you don't have to wait for the court to appoint you an individual to be the administrator or personal representative of the estate. You don't have to ask the uh, court to issue orders for uh, payments of certain debts or uh, uh, things like that. The trust is able to manage those things immediately upon death and uh, start distributing assets or paying off debts that are due. Right, and I think it's very important for the listeners to know that once a person passes away, unless there is a beneficiary designated, or there's a co-owner, all those assets are frozen. So if your husband or wife has $10 million in their bank account and only their name is on it and there's no beneficiary, you cannot get that money right away. It's going to have to go through probate court. And that's the importance of planning because if you know that your family will need money upon your passing, you will benefit from having a planning session with me to know how to set your family up to have that money if they need it for funeral expenses, 
bills, things like that. You know, another benefit of trust is that uh, it's more private. When you are in probate, uh, you have to file public accountings of assets in, a, in an estate, and in a trust, uh, that does not occur. Yeah, and one of the things I think is particularly embarrassing is that the death certificate is made public. The only thing that's required to be redacted is the social security number. But many people don't understand your death certificate will be public if it goes through probate, meaning your cause of death, whether you are married or widowed, who your informant was, where you lived. And that's something I wouldn't want to happen if I was deceased. You no know, matter what I died from, I just wouldn't want my death certificate to be public. Well, they do list out the uh, causes of death, and uh, that uh, can be very personal. Uh, one of the other things that uh, I think is beneficial in trust is uh, for parents. They're able to uh, designate uh, guardians uh, for children. Is that true? Right. Well, it's very important for parents of minor children because if, like I said, they leave money to minors, they're not able to actually obtain that money until they're 18 years old. And the guardianship process is a whole other animal mm -hmm. in addition to having to go through probate. There are a lot of resources available for people who want to know more about the probate process and guardianship. One of those is the website for the Legal Aid Self-Help Center of Southern Nevada. There's also our website where I have created a lot of blog articles and informational postings regarding the probate process, guardianship, estate planning, and anything that would be of benefit for people to know what to do when a loved one passes away. So the website that people can check out for more information is lesstovall.com, or you can reach me by phone at 702-258-3034. I love to be a resource. Well, Larissa, how have you felt about uh, our show today? This is the first one we've done together. Uh, it seems like I've, I've enjoyed it. How about yourself? I've enjoyed it. I hope the listeners have enjoyed it. Well, we're going to come back in a couple weeks uh, with another program, and we plan on staying on the air for a while. Don't you agree? I agree. And if the listeners have anything they'd like us to talk about, they can visit the website and um, put in requests for information on what our show should be about. You bet. I look forward to hearing from folks. That would be very uh, nice to give us some uh, feedback on the show and what we can do to uh, answer questions for uh, listeners. So listeners, if you enjoyed the show or if you didn't enjoy the show and you want to tell us, <laughs> or if there are any topics that you would like us to discuss on our next shows, please visit the website www.lesstovall.com, L-E-S-S-T-O-V-A-L-L.com. And send us a contact us form with your questions, comments, and concerns. You've been listening to special programming sponsored by Stovall and Associates Law Firm. The content of this program did not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Mm -hmm.